This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with the one and only Adam Deitch. He is, of course, the centerpiece of the instrumental funk juggernaut Lettuce, and is also a beatmaker, producer, and sideman for a wide range of projects. On the heels of Lettuce's latest release, entitled Unify from 2022, Adam is out with Roll the Tape, a new record featuring his own quartet and special guest John Schofield. He also operates the Deitch Academy, an online drumming course. We have tons of Patreon content for you to check out, and you can get access to all of it for a buck a month. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer for video lessons, transcriptions, and bonus interview content from our former guests. Once again, a donation of $1 a month gets you access to everything at patreon.com slash working drummer. Many drummers develop such a track record and reputation so as to be identified by a single name, but Deitch is definitely one of them. That single syllable evokes a whole sound and approach that he has honed and become known for over his 30 plus year career. So let's unpack it. Here's Adam Deitch. Anytime I have a drummer who is who has led a recording project, my first question is always why. <laughs> so, how did this come about? What what possessed you? Well, I, I like to write. Um, I'm a big uh, music composer. I write a huge chunk of the lettuce stuff. I write 50 percent of the break science stuff. Um, I co-wrote some of the Uber Jam and Up All Night stuff with with Schofield. So I've been composing music my whole life and. Um, I can't stop. I can't stop. I'm writing all the time. And, um, I, I basically, uh, have my little pro tool set up and, you know, guitar and a bass and, uh, VSC organ, you know, keyboard sounds. And, and I just make demos on my computer and I send them and I organize them into certain projects. So I have like nine different band projects that I'm currently writing for. Jesus. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I just love doing it. And the quartet is just a, a, a piece of that. And I always loved uh, drummers like Idris Muhammad and uh, Grant Green, uh, you know, Grant Green's music. And, and um, yep, I hear that. Lou Donaldson and all that stuff. So I, I just dig I, I dig that sound. And uh, and we were recording uh, the Lettuce record, the, the new one, which is unreleased, which is uh, mastered and ready to go. And uh, we had just finished a session of six days of them learning a whole slew of tunes of mine that they had not um, really uh, gone through yet. And so I had to kind of basically teach them that in the studio. And then right when the session was over after six days, I, everyone flies home except uh, my horn section who was in the, in the quartet. And I said, guys, we, we got to cut this Deitch quartet record. And they were like rolling their eyes like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> you know, and I was like, and, and, you know, in a way the quartet tunes are even harder, you know, because they're, you know, some involved melodies and I have no charts. I don't, I don't literally write notes. I, I, I just, I had the demos. And so I literally had to like sing them the melodies and it wow. was, it, it was tough. That's why I called it roll the tape. It was like, I don't want to waste these guys time. I, we're going to do everything in one or two takes no, um, 
no really no overdubs no no you know it wasn't a perfectionist type record and i think that's what kind of made it cool in a way you know it's really what i i like about it um it is it is you know it it sounds imperfect and handmade in in the best way organic <laughs> yes absolutely and i'm glad you mentioned lou donaldson because it totally put me in a in a alligator boogaloo headspace. Totally. <laughs> that's, that's the vibe totally yeah yeah so like in in going for that are you um are you just trying to kind of recreate that vibe and and live in it or or do you think of this record as a different take on it i mean it's got a little bit more of a hip-hop swang on it you know like a little bit of that Jay Dilla modern like kind of thing, you know, like I'm definitely not trying to cop grooves from injuries and those guys are, I want the grooves to be, you know, slightly updated, but at the sound of it, you know, as far as the reverb and like the low five, I'm using more of a jazz kit, more of a high, high Tom tuning and 18, yeah, in, 18 inch kit, like two rides kind of vibe. Um, so I really wanted the, the kit like as simple as possible, you know, jazz, you know, bebop tuning style kit. So yeah, it was just like my way of just kind of paying tribute to that while doing a slight update and not just copying, you know, w w what they did. Right, right. I mean, if you wanted to copy what they did, you could just play those tunes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, th those records are there and they did that, you know, so my goal was just to, you know, just add a little maybe a little Jay Dilla swag up into that, you know. Yeah. And as far as the sound of it goes, um, it, it sounds fucking great um thank you but i'm i'm wondering about the the mix and and the drum mix specifically um it it sounds quite heavily compressed i don't know if it is mm -hmm. um but just talk about uh you know the, the the process of shaping these drum sounds from from tuning to mix yeah i, I just you know i had worked with some great guys uh my, my boy josh fairman uh lives out here in denver he's in a band called sun squabby and he's an amazing engineer so he he tracked the record um um at this place scan hope which is now defunct it was like the last record made in there and uh it was a great room and so that you know you started with a great room great mics and then uh my friend john davis who did a lettuce record called fly and uh, he also did my first uh, my first quartet record, uh, Egyptian Secrets. So I, I trust him, and he's a great bass player. He's also the bass player in Nerve with JoJo Mayer. Oh yeah, yeah. So he's a musician, and he knows the, the idiom. And we actually mixed it twice. Um, there, were, I really wanted the drums kind of quiet on the record, and then I, and at a certain point, I, I heard the mixes, and, and I went, oh, I went too deep, and the horn sounded super loud, you know? Yeah. So I, I actually yeah. had to mix it again, and he was super cool enough to do that again. And um, so, uh, yeah, I just told him, like, I really wanted, like, an old-school, like, vibe and do what you can to make it gritty and and just kind of give it that old-school flavor. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you know um, any of the particulars about, you know, what – what kind of compressors he used or, or how he used them. I'm asking because compression is still kind of a mystery to me. Like, yeah, it's a I, mystery I, to me. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, uh, all I could say is everyone should check out the bunker studios in Brooklyn. Um, mm. it's just kind of like, he just has everything dialed all old school analog gear, not a lot of plugins. Um, if any, um, mm -hmm. all, you know, all analog gear and, He's just an, an audiophile kind of cat that knows his shit. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people try to do everything themselves these days. And they're sitting there going, oh, this compressor, that compressor, this plug in. It's like, just work with a guy that knows what he's doing, you know. And, yeah. and, and uh, you know, we have a great working relationship. And we also have that kind of bass player drummer connection where, you know, that, 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 you know, that's always there. So he understands where the bass and the drum should sit. And, uh, yeah, all I could say is check out the bunker studios and, and, um, you know, everyone that wants to make a, you know, that kind of record should really hit him up. You know, I, I don't know any of his magic secrets. I really don't. <laughs> well, it's a great point about how, um, you know, ev everybody's trying to do everything themselves these days. Yeah, yeah. And that that's a beautiful thing in a lot of ways because it sort of democratizes the music production process. Yeah. Um, but there's something to be said for, like, if, you know, if you can afford it or if you know somebody, just hire a professional who <laughs> does yeah. this for a living. You know, um, I, 
I tend to liken everything to, to cooking and, you know, I've learned how to cook a lot of shit. I can mm -hmm. really do some damage, but when nice. it comes to something like sushi, like I could learn how to be a good sushi chef, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to go to someone who does There's that for, yeah. Yeah. Real, su <laughs> real sushi chefs, they, they study rice for like five years and how right. to properly <laughs> put the vinegar in the rice and get the rice right before they even make one roll, you know? Yes. So it's like that, that's the kind of guy he is. And, uh, there's no way I, I, I could mix it like like that. You know, he's just one of those guys. And, and you know, these guys are affordable and they're down to work, you know, and live studios. And they're excited to work on live music and, you know, like bands and that, that kind of thing. So I, I would recommend just finding engineers you like. Uh, another great engineer that I work with, Lettuce Joel Hamilton. Uh, he's at Studio G, like another amazing engineer that I love working with. Um, and again, you know, Josh Perriman out here in Denver is amazing. So just finding these guys and just being, Hey man, like let's do this and, uh, you know, and make it sound right. You know, I, I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate a good chef audio chef. Exactly. Exactly. It's another great point about how people, people are down to work, like whether it's a musician or an engineer or whatever, like these people that may seem inaccessible or, or, uh, unaffordable to a lot of us, mm -hmm. um, you know, you might be surprised. They, yeah. uh, <laughs> reach, reach out, tell them your budget, you know, like right. tell, tell them what you're working with and they'll either say yes or no, you know, at least right. go that far. to and, uh, you know, and he, uh, they have overheads, they have studio costs and Brooklyn rent is not easy. So, you know, but it, you just got to hit them up and see what's up. Right. And if they say no, they're probably not going to be a dick about it. And now you've made contact with someone for a future project that when you do have the budget, they already know you, you know. Right. And they might recommend you to a guy if, if, yeah, you, know, if you don't have yeah. the budget. They go, well, you know, I can't do this record for that, but I do know a guy that could, that could, that is good, that could do it for that. And, and they'll send you to another guy that that's great. So, you know, you just got to keep hammering at, at these cats and, and just see who's available and who can work within your budget. Right. Um, there are a couple other things on this record that I, I wanted to hit. Um, one of them was uh, the track that you play with brushes alone together. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I don't think of you as a brush player. You're nope. obviously, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously, you obviously put some shit together. Um, mm -hmm. Like wh what, what made you want to include that track or what made you want to play brushes? On yeah. Track? I, 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 what was your process? Did you have to shed? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah. I, I never, uh, I've recorded a ballad really. Um, I think I did one ballad with Schofield. Um, on the up all night record. Da, 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 da. Uh, I forget the name of the tune. I have to look at the, the playlist, but that was sort of like almost a brushes vibe. And my goal was to like, you know, keep the brush thing going and use the hi hat instead of like upbeats on two and four, kind of like a backbeat, the back where the snare would be is going to be a hi hat ch chick. And then mm -hmm. use, use the brushes as the in between the, the ocean, the, you know, just kind of getting the circular motion doing the accents and kind of, you know, replacing the two and four where a backbeat would be with the hi-hat. So that was like right. the, the main thing, the main concept of it. And then just kind of letting the chords of the melody uh, be the focal point and, and just being supportive of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, brushes are such a, a tricky uh, thing technically and I think a fraught thing sort of... <laughs> emotionally or psychologically um because you know especially for those of us who have a jazz background like it's it's hard to not pick up brushes and feel like you got to sound like jeff hamilton right um, right well all these guys but, have videos like you know clues clayton camera is he like there's a bunch of guys that have like total tons of brush videos like even stanton is like an amazing yeah. brush guy like you know and this guy's like playing like funky rock all day but, you know, all you got to do is just go and check out these videos and, you know, see their techniques. And, and everyone's got a different brush technique. You know, this guy, yes. like, this is the way it's done. This guy, like, this is the way it's done. And you just, you check all the videos out and you just try it your way. You know, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, I, I think I do clockwise with my left hand and my right hand just kind of doing accents, you know, and that's, that just works for me, you know, as long as it's a smooth motion. And, you know, you just find your own way with it. Right. And I, I think um, it's important to keep in mind that uh, 
no, no matter what genre you're applying the brushes to, um, it's, <laughs> it's okay to have a limited vocabulary with them, right? Like if you've, if you've only got one or two things in your brush bag, but they feel good, they sound good, they're in the pocket, you can apply them to certain things, like that's fine. You, you know, I'm talking to myself right now. Like you don't yeah. have to sound like Jeff Hamilton every time you pick You don't up have to, brushes. yeah. I mean, it's like there's no <laughs> way we can. There's no way we can sound like these guys. So you just got to find your own way with it. You know, one thing I love that a lot of brush players do is like a, it's a little bit of like a rough or a drag on the, on the, you know, on the brushes to an open hi-hat, mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing. Yep. And, and, and I was really like kind of trying to get that going on. You know, um, that's like a, a kind of like a, it's a lost art brushes. And there's certain things that I picked up and, you know, by no means am I a brush master, but Hey, you got to start somewhere. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and you like, like you're saying, you can start with, just some pieces of vocabulary that you really like that sound good to you. Um, and you don't, you don't have to get wrapped around the axle of like all the tricks and all the fucking acrobatics that yeah. the masters apply right. <laughs> in their sleep. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's an art and it takes years to master. And if you're playing like, you know, three or four bebop gigs a week and, and you're playing a couple ballads a night, you're going to get it together. Uh, for me, it was just like, okay, what can I do to just make this smooth and and make the song, you know, important and not make it about the brushes, make it about right the chords and the melody, you know, and right just be That's supportive. That's a great point. You know? Yes, like our drummer brains, like as soon as we pick up brushes, we want to make what we play about the brushes. <laughs> yeah. But- yeah. You you don't have to. You can just pick up the brushes and still make it about the groove and and the music. And totally. I like I was that guy during my years in Kansas City. I had that, you know, 3 and 4 bebop gigs a week and I had some shit together. Yeah. Um but most of it has left me and I'm I'm much closer to where you're at right now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um the other thing about this record is that there are a couple of tracks that are just solo drums. Yeah. Um and you call them what is it language interludes? language yeah you know, dr- you know yeah. language you know drumming is speaking and it goes back to right. africa with with you know communication and all that thing and everyone has their own language and their own you know whatever licks or or sentences or phrases that they play and and at a certain point you go what is my language what 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 is my dialect you know, and, mm-hmm. and the only way to do that is, is just play, you know, and just let it go, let it out. Don't try to think, don't be in the moment, play what you're hearing. You know, obviously your influences will be in there. And, but, uh, yeah, I, I was just trying to just speak a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like, I don't think of you as a brush player per se. I don't think of you as a soloist per se. I know that, you know, drum solos have always been part of what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of you as just, you know, the engine of various <laughs> musical projects. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why, why was it important to you to include some solo drumming on this record? Oh, what I love the sound of, of a bebop kit. And I feel, um, you know, when you're playing a rock kit with dead toms and, and that kind of thing, I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of that language is like, you know, a lot of people are playing that kind of stuff. And there's like, you know, your standard 32nd note world and you have your triplet world and you have your, your things. And, and I just feel like when I get on a bebop kit, it feels so fresh and so artistic and it just has this like open tone. You don't have to play a lot of stuff. Cause the drums are, 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 are singing, you know, the, the toms have no yeah. muting and they're, they're open. So it's like this, it's, it's less like, you know, when you're playing the dead kit, like, like my lettuce kit is very dead and, you know, do, 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 bah, you know, mm-hmm. like, so then yep. I feel like I have to do more and, and create more notes during a drum solo when I'm like soloing over like the flu or lettuce or, or something like that, which, you know, I take like two, you know, solos a night with lettuce and, you know, over a vamp oh, wow. and shit like yeah. that. So, and uh, but that's where I feel like I have to fill up the space a little more because the drums are aren't reverberating. So when I get on a bebop kit in a studio in a beautiful room and the reverb's going, it's like, hey man, like let me just play for a second. I, I had to dim the lights and kick everybody hmm. out. You guys go outside and uh, do what you got to do. Go go shoot some hoops in the basketball hoop, and I'm just gonna play for like 15, 20 minutes and see what mm-hmm. happens, and then take the parts where I felt you know, I felt that there was some language happening. 
did you know that you wanted to include some solo tracks, you know, from the outset of this project or was that kind of a spontaneous, like, let me, uh, you guys get the fuck out of here. I'm feeling something right now. <laughs> uh, no, I knew I wanted to do, I did it on, on the first record, the, uh, the, uh, Egyptian secrets record that I did before, oh, cool. prior, prior to this. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, really enjoy just getting in touch with a bebop kit and, um, and just kind of like, yeah, just exploring on it and let, letting the drums sing out and just trying to be melodic with, with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it seems like you got in touch with the kit, but also with, uh, you know, just the, the, uh, the master ancestors of ours. I heard a lot of Tony. I heard a lot of Max in yep. there. Absolutely, uh, man. And yeah, it was great to hear. Right on. Thank you, brother. record also includes a, a guest appearance by Schofield. Yeah. Um, and people who listen to this podcast are sick of hearing me talk about Schofield and they're sick of hearing <laughs> me talk about B3 Oregon because I'm an ardent fan of both. Uh, so let's, let's just have you talk about them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sco is, is like a, you know, an uncle to me at this point. Like, you know, we mm-hmm. spent th- three years on the road. He uh, just really, kicked my career off with a bang, you know, like he just, uh, put me on the map at like 26 years old or whatever, however old I was, 24, 25 when I joined his band. And it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's the greatest and he's played with everybody. And this whole thing was like, you know, just be you, you don't, you don't have to be Dennis or Billy Cobham or Omar or Bill Stewart, but check these guys out. You know, Billy Martin, he loves all these guys that, you know, his list of drummers he's played with is, is incredible. And he just was like, I, you know, he dug that I was in the average white band before him, you know, before I joined his band, he, he knows that I was a groove first player and mm-hmm. he wanted someone to, to like, you know, kind of, you know, for that Uber jam project play, you know, play grooves and lock with his like sort of quirky drum machine things that Avi was doing. And, and I, and I love doing that. I, I grew up playing with my dad's drum machines and, I'm in a group called Break Science, which is like a mm-hmm. all electronic stuff where I'm playing with tracks, and I enjoy it. It's fun. I get to kind of get into my robot mode and play some of my D'Anthony De- Park slicks. Are you hip to D'Anthony? Yeah. Yes. Um, I think D'Anthony's a big part of this uh, Andre 3000 uh, comeback. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you know, D'Anthony's like just a, a trailblazer when it comes to uh, futuristic kind of language technology sounding drums but on an acoustic kit you know right right so yeah so you know scott has had me you know playing some of that and and i just you know he's just and we just became really good friends you know like he's just he's funny he's a hilarious guy and like he has so much history and he he knows everybody and just he's got jokes all day so he's just like a wonderful human being and most guys in his position are not playing on their sideman's records you know they're not doing that right right you know like my never appeared on a scofield record you know like you know so it, it's just you know a, a complete honor to have him on this on the, the past my past two solo records and and uh yeah he just like just did it at home and he's like send me the tracks man I, i'll do it on garage put it on and his home computer and, and he got it right and it sounded great and i just threw it into the engineer and he threw it in the trap cool i think your signal is getting choppy as you're am I, venturing am I, outside there maybe okay maybe the internet's inside okay i'll just go over here but um yeah he, he's just uh, an amazing human being that has taught me tons of things about music and life and touring and uh i should professional uh, in this music game 
So there's a lot to unpack there. Like, what are what are a couple of uh, lessons that that leap to mind that uh, Sco has imparted? Oh, I mean, being in the moment, um, being creative, yeah. uh, using uh, using sound check as, as a time to to write and create tunes, and uh, you know, being open to things on the gig. He got me into like breaking the band down into smaller pieces, so as opposed to four or five guys playing together the whole time. He's like a different sound is, you know, drums and guitar for 16 or 32 bars, uh, you know, guitar and, and rhythm guitar for 32 bars, no drums and no bass, bass and, you know, bass and drum, like different combos of duos within every mm-hmm. band. There's a bunch of duos, you know? Right. Right. So, you know, he, he was really, he got me hip to that. I do that with lettuce a lot now where, you know, I'm in the talk back mic and I'll be like sax and keys and everyone drops out sax and key, you know, bass and guitar only, uh, trumpet and, and me, you know, like, so, and you create these duo situations. And then the, when the whole band comes back in, uh, is a lot of there's a huge energy shift and the crowd usually reacts to that pretty hardcore and right, and right. That, that that was the thing that he got me into heavily um you know the, the ability to be professional to you know get you know we were in europe touring for three years and and a lot of 6 a.m flights a lot of a lot of lobby calls at five after like exploring rome the night before or, or right. berlin or something and and you just got to get to that lobby. You got to get there, um, <laughs> you know, getting the sound check, being on it and being in a creative space and having a smile, not being tired. And, and you know, you got to be ready to play. You know, he uh, he's yeah. kind of like a, a Coltrane type cat where he's like playing in the hotel room. He's playing on the way to sound check. He's playing after sound check till dinner. He's wow. dinner and he plays to the gig and then he, gets to the gig he plays his ass off and then he goes to his room and he plays till he goes to sleep like jesus he's just you know he's one of those cats you know he loves wow. it and he's into it and it, and it, it you know it, he can always keep his flow going uh yeah there's just so many things i learned from him and you know just like hipping me to like oh you heard this like jack Jeanette record like do you know about this do you know about that do you know about this and um, telling me stories of Idris Muhammad and like just all kind, just it's unbelievable the amount of knowledge he has and and uh, how he's helped my career is just immeasurable. Yeah, one of the things I love about him is that he, you know, he he not only has an identity and a sound that's that's yeah. unique to him. You know, that's that's hard enough to achieve, um, but he's one of those musicians who's able to plug it into so many different uh, genres and groups and musical situations without losing, you know, the essence of what he is like. Yeah, he is. He is himself every time he plays, no matter who he's playing with. And he allows everybody else to be themselves like him being the most authentically himself, like encourages everyone around him to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. He, he never forced any beats on me he was like you know come up with the groove you know what are you listening to you listen to some hip-hop shit play that groove at soundcheck i'll write a melody to that you know like you know a lot of the stuff we did together was like you know the drum and bass thing or the whatever whatever groove i was coming up with he was like i'll write to that you know and 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 he would like we would share writing credit and all i did was come up with a beat you know or like right. lift a beat from a Little Wayne record or something like that, you know, and play it on a right. on a bebop right. kit, and, and he'd be like, "Great, let me write to that." So he's just a he. He was never micromanaging what I was doing. He hires people and he expects them to be creative and to bring something to the table creatively. Right, right, and he's he um he doesn't wrap himself around whatever that is either like he wasn't lifting licks or tones or whatever off the hip-hop records that you were listening to he was like i'm gonna stay me but it's gonna work with whatever's around me yeah his sound is incredible his time feel is amazing you know yeah he's super behind the beat which i like Mm -hmm. He's feeling the back end of that shit, you know, because he understands the blues and he understands the shit. You tell me Miles used to yell at him for it. But, uh, you know, to <laughs> me, that's a huge part of his sound is his time feel and the way he like approaches his intervallic stuff and 
he really is a legato kind of like he checked out a lot of like Brecker and trained sax players. So he has a lot mm. of sax playing shit in his bag on, on guitar that a lot of guitar players are just like Wes Montgomery and, and George Benson. And, and he's like, you know, he reached outside of his instrument to get his sound. And yeah. that's something I'm really into. Like a lot of my sound on drums is based on like my background in piano and, and, and like, you know, spending years playing piano. And, and I feel like, you know, and also like, I love to dance. I was like, you know, I wouldn't say I was break dancing as a kid, but I was definitely like <laughs> studying all the new hip hop dances coming up in the late eighties and early nineties, you know, and that's part of, part of what I bring to the kit. So it's like, you know, it, it, having outside influences besides just your instrument is going to help give you a sound and, and a, and a, and a unique perspective. Yeah, I'm. I'm really glad you mentioned that because uh, I, I hadn't. I hadn't really put words to it before. But um, you know, people of of whom I'm such a fan, like Schofield, like his guitar playing has influenced my drumming without yeah, question. Absolutely. Yeah. Me too. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. When it comes to lettuce, like you're the, uh, the, you know, the press release kind of described you as the 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 driving force of the latest record, Unify. Um, but I mean, it sounds like for all intents and purposes, you're the leader of the band. I'm, <laughs> the I'm absolutely, absolutely not. Um, no, the, the, no, the, uh, yeah, it is a complete democracy, um, and anyone can lead at any point. Um, hmm. uh, they just entrust me to kind of suggests hey let's let's go to the bridge here let's let's uh let's not end let's go to a bass and drums thing here um they're letting me kind of just guide the live shows mm -hmm. and they're, they're also because i write in so much bulk um i'm sending them like you know a couple tunes a week you know to like digest and and so they're allowing me to like, you know, blossom as, as a composer and that, that sort of thing. But in no way am I a leader of the band. It is a hundred percent a democracy. Yeah. Hmm. Has, uh, has the degree to which you've contributed compositions or sort of led the onstage presentation increased over the years or was it always kind of that way? It definitely increased over the years, especially once we got ears and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was, you know, I was usually in the back of the stage with the monitor where I couldn't hear anything playing, um, you know, volume level 11 all night and sweating my <laughs> face off by the second tune. And now right. with ears, um, you know, I recommend to all drummers, you don't have molds to go get molds and get a little mixer and plug, you know, have the monitor guy plug, you know, what I do is I put the drums into, into channel one on my mixer or, and uh, the whole kit, just a nice mix to the kit, and then the whole band on channel two. And mm. then I have a click check on, on uh, channel three that I might use or I might not. I might start the tune with it and then turn it off, that kind of thing. So that allows me to ha have full control of like how loud I want the drums compared to the band. And that way, if I have the drums pretty cranked, right, and then I have the band, you know, pretty mellow, then it... I, I could say, okay, I could play quietly and play with dynamics, really hear the crispiness of the drums, and it's changed the way I've played a lot. And now I'm not like blowing everyone's ears out. I'm not freaking out the crowd with like a volume blast the whole show. And, yeah, and I feel yeah. like we just hit a stride where um, instead of me starting the solos on, you know, four or five out of ten, you know, saying, you know, ten loudest, one being the quietest. I'm kind of starting everyone's solos on two or like one yeah. and a half. And I'm, right. and, I, and it's really, by the time I get to five, we, it feels like a peak, you know? And if I go to seven, I'm kind of saving seven, eight, nine, ten for a solo, mm. you know, for like the volume blast, you know? So we've really just developed a sound based on how I'm using the ears and the, and my ability to kind of play lower uh, volume wise and kind of bring the band down to where i'm at volume wise that way they can all hear themselves everyone's relaxed and it's really working this last tour i feel like we finally got it together with like dynamics and how to really get the crowd going with a great sound man a great monitor yeah. guy that we have i don't have to be bashing all night and i finally figured it out you know right right god that sounds like a dream um 
And I, you mentioned the crowd. I would imagine that this approach like brings the crowd in closer as well. They love it. They they don't want to be blasted out the entire night, right. you know. Especially, you know, funk as a way of being mono volume. You know, like you mm-hmm. know, you're playing funky, you're hitting hard, and you're slamming yeah. all night. And by incorporating like you know, I guess jazz or bebop dynamics, you know, and bringing that into the funk thing, just because you're playing backbeats doesn't mean it has to be full out. And and also what I learned is playing backbeats quietly is hard. It's a serious <laughs> challenge, you know. And yeah. you know, guys like uh, like Billy Martin and, and Questlove, they they're not hard hitters, you know. They, right. They they play you know really kind of chill backbeat style with like almost like a straight ahead dynamic, you know, volume dynamic, which I'm S- really into these days. Same with Purdy. Purdy too. He's not a slammer, yeah. and not not saying that it's not cool to slam sometimes too. But really, using the full dynamic spectrum of the instrument is what has made the band feel brand new and made every show like I can't wait to play every night and show the crowd how quiet I could break it down. <laughs> you know, like, it's like this exciting thing every night, and then by yeah. you know, when you get to like five or six out of ten. They're like they could. It, it feels like this like peak, you know. But then you also have that extra gear to kick in for something if you need it. Right. Um, it's interesting that you sort of um, attribute this approach and this capability to uh, in ear monitors, which of course. But I think a lot of people and drummers, especially. Um, tend to think of in ears as sort of a, a barrier, and and um, you know it it isolates you in a way that some people are averse to, and and that's true. It does isolate you in a certain way, but what you're describing is making me realize that it also opens up um, possibilities to uh, connect with your fellow musicians on stage and with the audience in a way that you can't. <laughs> you, you know, can't with possibly regular monitors. with a regular monitor yeah I, I did regular monitors for 20 25 years you know and and you know with scofield i used headphones uh because i needed to hear the drum machine and, and that avi was doing and stuff like that but right now the way i'm hearing everybody in lettuce and I, for every gig I, I do now i'm bringing my little mixer and um, i'm bringing my my molds um, and it just allows me to hear it like a record mm-hmm. every night. And, um, and by having the drums on a separate channel on my little, you know, hundred dollar Mackie mixer, you know, and I'm able to like, I'm, I'm not really hearing myself. I, I, I want to play quieter, but I still want to hear the, hear the bottom snare and I want to, and, and still feel it. So I, I can literally just turn, crank up the drums a little bit if I, and then, and, and I can play quieter. And yeah, it's just a whole new world for me. So I, I really yeah. enjoy it. And I'm hearing the band in a way that I've never heard them, but their intricacies and, and I'm not missing them when I hit a crash or something, I'm still hearing the band and, or the soloist and what's going on. So it's allowed me to kind of magnify, uh, everybody's, uh, contribution on stage. Right. So for drummers who uh, don't have the luxury of, um, you know, a, a front of house sound person or a monitor mixer, you know, traveling with them and basically part of their band, mm-hmm. um, do you have any recommendations of sort of how to take advantage of this approach, um, you know, if you're doing your own sound or if you're at a venue and the house sound guy is a stranger? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I just ask for an XLR, two XLRs, you know, from, from the mm. monitor guy. It's that simple. And I, I just tell him, give me a mix of the drums in, in channel one. Give me the, the full band as even as you can, flat mix in channel two. And then you are in charge of that relationship, you know, cause you have your mm-hmm. mixer right next to you and you don't have mm, to bother yeah. the guy all night and go, can I get a little more of this, or a little more of that? You know, it's like, you're basically, you're ready to go at that point. And it, it kind of puts everything in, in, in your, you know, in your, you know, you're up to you and how you're going to mix the thing in your ear. So yeah, like most monitor guys have no problem doing that. Even the house monitor guy, you know, when I'm doing little pickup gigs in Denver at like, you know, Cervantes or whatever, you know, just a local gig, 
and they have a monitor guy, and you just say, hey, man, give me two XLRs out. And they're like, no problem. It's so easy. <laughs> and I just right. didn't realize it was that easy, you know? And uh, and it's and I bring I just plug it into my mixer, and it's just like, wow, I'm hearing a record now in my ears and not like approximating and then playing too loud because I can't hear, I can't hear myself and all that kind of stuff. So it's really changed the game for me. And it protects awesome. my ears also. Uh, yeah, sometimes, for sure. Sometimes like... There's shit that's too loud, and I'll just go to the master volume on the mixer, down, you know, bring everything yep. down, you know, and uh, and it kind of saves your ears. Yeah, that's a huge point. Um, and the point about uh, custom molds is a great one too. There, you know, that's an investment for sure, mm -hmm. and not everybody can just drop that money, but uh, it's I mean, it's but, worth yeah, saving I mean, for. The molds for me were it was like two hundred. It wasn't even expensive, like. You know, I don't have some crazy expensive seven hundred dollar, you know, molds. I, I, I think mine are like three hundred bucks or something like that. You know, really? Wow. Yeah, I forget the name of the ones that I use, but they're they're great, and like they're not they're not going to break your bank, and it's just totally a game changer. You know, I, I would highly recommend it to anyone that hasn't tried them yet. It's a little weird getting the molds because they put the that you know the hot thing in your ear and. You got to wait yeah. there that it clogs up. It's a weird feeling, but it is once they pull them out, you're good. And then you have these amazing molds for every gig, you know? Yeah. And then you ask for like, you know, if you set up a little 57 audience mic and it's getting a little bit of the room. So you don't have that sterile sound. You say, Hey man, could you throw yeah. a little bit of this 57 in there that's facing the crowd? And, or, you know, you can hear a little bit of the audience hear a little bit of the ambience in the room and, and have them just get, give you a little touch of that. And a lot, most Monitor engineers are going to say, no problem. I got you, you know? Yeah. Unless the the tour jerk. I'm on now, <laughs> yeah. say what? Unless they're a jerk and they don't want to be accommodated, <laughs> you know? But right. Most of Which, them will do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. The tour I'm on now, um, we, we work with, you know, 16-channel Avioms, and um, one of the channels is, is uh, the MD's talkback mic, uh, which is a 57, which gets some of the house. Yeah. Because um, we're, we're in a pit orchestra. I'm on this Broadway tour. Wow. Um, so it gets some of the house and there's also a channel um that's a, an audience mic that's a mic on the audience Absolutely. Um, and they're both they're both in the mix and they're both super helpful um yeah. and yeah like having having custom molds on this tour for me um I, I i don't see how i could do it without it because i'm i'm isolated in a booth in the pit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so the the fact that i have such good isolation with those ears means that like you said you're just, it's like you're hearing a record. You're only hearing the mics. You're not hearing the shit bouncing around inside this tiny little box. Exactly. Um, it's one changer. of the advantages. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, you know, I'm physically separated from my fellow musicians and from the audience and from the cast mm. in, in ways that I'm not nuts about. But, you know, the, one of the benefits is just this absolute consistency of like pure, clean sound every night everywhere we are yes exactly you know and i love it and sometimes when you're taking a, a little solo or whatever or one person in the audience could be like "Woo!" you know they'll do that scream and if you don't hear that you're in your head you're like oh shit uh, you know i'm, I'm trying are they digging it you know you're playing all your shit you, but if you, you hear that one woo you know coming through that that little audience mic and you're like oh they're into it you know like right. maybe that was hip what i just played like you know so it's really great to have that that little bit of, of ambience, Mike, and, and and you know, kind of feel that that crowd reaction when you do something, you know. Right, and that's that's a great example of another thing that you can have with in ears that you can't necessarily have with a monitor because if a, if a you know if a wedge is blowing your own sound at you, uh, you you might not hear that little woo. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, it's uh, it, for me, it's it's the way to go for now. Denver been home for you 
about eight years, something like that, around there. And wh- why why did you land there? Um, I was in New York for a long time, and I was crisscrossing the country a lot, doing this touring thing, and um, you know, gig in L.A. and then fly back to New York, and then a gig in Chicago, and fly back to New York, and then a gig in you know where it was just like always like crisscrossing back and forth back and forth and the idea of being central was great i actually moved out with the with an ex-girlfriend she was like you know i hate new york i want to live in denver and and i was like okay leave everything that i know and just go out there but i you know i was in a in a working with this dj producer named pretty lights who was kind of like uh, a Jesus figure out in Colorado <laughs> and now, you know, now nationwide, he's an amazing, mm-hmm. you know, people just love him out here. And he had me playing red rocks for two nights and all this stuff. So I really did feel comfortable that was all happening. And, and, uh, you know, she suggested that we move out here and then we ended up breaking up, breaking up. She moved back to Florida and I stayed. So, uh, <laughs> just, and, and there's a great scene here. I don't, I don't need 25 jazz clubs. I need like, two or three you know i don't i don't need you know 55 rock clubs three or four is fine you know uh having red rocks here having cervantes having metal lark where i'm going tonight which is like you know a funky jam session thing led by my friend emmanuel that that's just it's an incredible thing to do on a wednesday out here and everyone is having a great time and it's just a little bit you know low key but i just dig it I, i i don't need all the options that New York has. I did that for years and the weather here is incredible. 300 days of sun a year. Yeah, man. And, uh, it's just a vibe. So I love it. Yeah. I grew up, uh, next door in New Mexico. Um, so I've spent a lot of time up in Denver and really dig it too. Um, and you know, I was, I was going to ask to what extent you're sort of, uh, you know, plugged in or a participant in the, uh, you know, the local scene, but it sounds like you're very much woven into it there. Yeah, I, I was at uh, Herb's Organ Jam last night. Um, Herb God, that sounds it. like I, something I want to be at. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was so fun. This guy, Vlad, from Russia, he's a killing organ player. <laughs> and, you know, he's kicking pedals and they're swinging yeah. in there. And then I come up and, you know, he's like, you want to play some, you know, you know, play some boogaloo stuff or you want to swing? And they always ask me and like, you know, so that's like my like Tuesday night hang. And then tonight is, is like the metal lark funk hang, like hip hop kind of funk thing. And then, you know, there's, there's all kinds of hangs every night of the week. And then you always have Charmantes and, and other clubs. So I love being a part of this scene. There's a great bunch of um, young musicians here that are going to Colorado University or DU and, and, and people that graduated from there. And they just stayed in Denver to kind of play straight ahead and, and other music. And so it's a great community and I love it. What genres um, sort of uh, dominate the scene there? Are, are there any that uh, Denver is known for or becoming known for? Or is it kind of pan-stylist? I mean, I would say the electronic scene is really burgeoning here. Um, like, mm. you know, the kind of producer with a DJ, a producer with a drummer kind of thing. Like, that's really a Denver thing. Um, right. Everybody's going out there and dropping mushrooms and smoking the jazz cabbage. And they want to yeah, that, that's the vibe the here. You know, it's, it's the <laughs> Yeah, it's the Amsterdam of, 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 you know, in a way it's like the London of America, you know, because there's, there's so much, there's so much cool electronic stuff happening. And then of course you have like, you know, the, the pop thing with it's been legal forever and, and, and that's awesome. And, um, yeah, so it's just a great place to be and, and, uh, I, I enjoy it. And there, there's a, you know, I would say that Denver, uh, people, fans of the music support small level artists in a way that I've never seen like New York. I love New York, but they really don't give a shit about you until you make it. So you, until you, mm. you blew up somewhere else, you know, um, yeah. same thing, you know, LA very similar, like yeah. good, good luck trying to get a, a crowd to your new band show, you know? Yeah. But in Denver, it's like people take it upon themselves. Like, Hey, you know, there's a new band playing and we're all going we're all going we're all going to support so it's i've seen so many bands like go from just starting to being national acts because of the support of 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 the denver music fans which i i love so much so uh, you know i recommend if you you know if you're in you know wherever you're in florida struggling and you got a great band or 
you know, some, some city where you're not being appreciated, come out to Denver and do a gig and, and, and you'll see how the people get behind it. And it'll kind of give you a, a new sense of, of purpose and, and, and hope that you could continue it. Like, you know, before let us play Denver, we, we were a regional band. We were, you know, New York, Boston, Connecticut, and then maybe San Francisco. And that was it. But once we broke in Denver, it's like, the rest of the country starts hearing about it. And it's like, you know, it's like Colorado has a lot to give as far as, as far as supporting new, you know, acts that are mid level or, or beginning level to get to that next level. That's really cool. And it's, it's kind of a uh, full circle for you since, since it sounds like Denver was a, a kind of a launch pad for, for lettuce in the early days. Absolutely, man. It was our first place we ever played two nights Wow. Um, mm. You know, like at Cervantes, like, what have you for two? I, I get to leave my kid here and like play again. This is <laughs> great, you know? And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was, Denver was a big part of, of uh, us becoming a national, you know, act. Yeah. And now, sort of, you being woven into that scene is, is you get to, you get to give back to that, that scene that, that nurtured you so kindly. <laughs> Absolutely. And I love, you know, sharing young bands' flyers. And I'm always telling my friends, like, tag me in that so I can share that and like, cause people get behind it, you know? And, and, and I, I love this kind of communal vibe with, with, with the, all the, the young musicians out here and the, and the, and the burgeoning bands that are trying to get to the next level and get to that next size venue. And we all rally behind them and the same thing with like the DJ producers and we all support each other. And it's a beautiful thing. Are you um, at all hooked into the uh, universities or schools of music that are in Denver? And, and do they have kind of a, a partnership or a bridge with the, the professional scene? I'd like to do more of that. I've done a few things at a few colleges out here. Um, I don't really have like a solid contact that, you know, I, you know maybe, uh, maybe this is the year to kind of reach out more and do more stuff at some colleges. But um, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a work in progress. Right. I, I know. So there's the University of Denver, right? Yeah. And and CU Boulder is, what, 45 minutes, an hour away? Yeah, about, yeah, about 30 minutes, 35 minutes, yeah. Are there are there any other ones of uh, that should be mentioned? Um, I think I think you pretty much nailed it. I feel there's a few more, but, uh, you know, again, I am traveling a whole hell of a lot. So, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, when I'm home, I'm kind of just like doing the local scene and then I'm back out on tour again. But, uh, you know, there's a bunch of colleges out here and a a lot of a lot of like jazz students out here getting their getting their chops and ready. And and a lot of them, like, as soon as they get to a certain level, I just be like, hey, man, you got to get to New York ASAP. You know, like, (laughs) you got to, you you know, if you play straight ahead and like you've reached a level where you want to be seen and play with the cats. You got to go to New York and, and go prove yourself and get your ass kicked. You know, that yep. that's what New York's for. You know, it's for yep. a 25 year old that that's got the stuff and you go there and you get a shitty apartment in Williamsburg or whatever. And <laughs> Flatbush. And, if you're and, lucky. Yeah. Jesus. Right. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah, you got to be out in East. Yeah. East Flatbush now, or whatever, you right. know, Hoboken. Yeah, right. That too. You know, go, go out outside the city, deep in Queens, and and but you know, you, you take that train right in, you go to Smalls, and you prove yourself. And you, you know, that that that's what New York is is to me. It's a proving ground. You know, Denver's a place to kind of like get your stuff together, and and also in my place, like to chill, and and to enjoy your life a little bit, and not be a you know surrounded by this major metropolis feeling. Like people have houses out here, and people aren't really you know, living all in apartments like New York or, you know, it's great. It's just a wonderful place to be. Yeah. We talk all the time about how, you know, being, being a happy and productive musician kind of depends on finding a place to live that agrees with you in terms of its quality of life and style of life. Um, and that's, that's different for everyone, but, uh, your, your point about New York being, you know, a temporary cru- uh, proving ground and not mm. necessarily your lifelong home. Yeah. I mean, some people <laughs> is, like, you know, all props to everyone that, that make it their lifelong home. And it, it right. just, that wasn't my path. And, and I'm, you know, I'm glad I got out here and I, and I, I have a crew of New Yorkers here that mm. we were, we all either grew up there or made our names there. And now we all live here and we're, we're all loving it. And uh, it, it's great. 
Yeah. My uh, my wife and I lived in LA for five years and we've been in Atlanta for about eight years. Nice. Um, and we're like, we're, we're in contact with LA people. Like you should just get the fuck out of there and come to Atlanta or, you know, cause yeah. <laughs> did you have the experience where like, did you, um, not, it wasn't even a month after we moved to Atlanta that we looked back on our life in LA and we were like, Jesus Christ, how did we do it? What were we thinking? Like- exactly. I totally <laughs> had that with, with Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, from, from the rats and the roaches to the garbage everywhere. And like, you know, there's, I mean, New York is one of the best cities in the world. And I grew up there, yeah. and, you know, but, uh, I can't believe I dealt with all of that congestion and foot traffic and regular traffic and car horns and construction and just all of that. I'm glad I did, but, uh, yeah. but I, I feel like getting out in my mid thirties was, was, uh, was the move, you know? Yeah. Every city has a price of admission, no matter what it is. It's just totally. a matter of how long you're willing to pay it and what you get in return. <laughs> exactly. Um, talk about the, the Deitch Academy, uh, real quick. What do, what do people need to know about that endeavor? I mean, mostly uh, I wanted my, uh, my language, you know, the way I play and, and my little tricks of the trade and everything from how I hold the stick and how I, play my ghost notes and and attack and tuning and uh time feel solo concepts i wanted that to live on I, I didn't want it to be something like you know once i'm gone all of that knowledge is just out the window you know mm-hmm. so i wanted i really wanted a, a a place where that was secured and uh and where yeah, people yeah. that dig what i do can go there and go oh like that's his recipe, you know, and, uh, mm. I have lessons, beginner, intermediate and advanced, you know, for every, for every, uh, you know, wherever you're at on the kit. And, um, just to explain how I approach my stuff, this funky stuff that I play or the hip hop stuff that I play or, you know, a new, you know, how I approach a new Orleans groove, how I approach, you know, playing a six, eight Afro Cuban or, you know, or Afrobeat Bela Kuti thing or, just my approach, you know, that's all it is. And, and, uh, I just wanted to have it all in one place and, and it's starting to grow slowly and slowly, but surely. And, you know, I just got to get into the marketing world and figure out how to market it to a wider audience. Obviously stuff like this helps a lot. Yeah. Um, For (laughs) those, those people that don't know, it's www.deichacademy.com. Um, if you subscribe, you, uh, you get access to all the videos, uh, beginner, intermediate, advanced. You can watch them all. It's not like you're locked in one thing. You know, you're once you're in, you're in, and you can get right. out get out anytime. You're not locked in for a certain amount of months. You know, like you can check out two videos and get out, but I don't recommend that. <laughs> right, it's <laughs> you know, not cost effective. It's not cost effective. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the longer you hang in, the more I can keep doing this, and I, I have to hire a camera crew. I, I got to do it right. I got I have editors. I all that stuff. Um, the, you know, the cat that's mixing it. You know, it's definitely an overhead and I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, break even on this thing still, but, um, it's yeah. a challenge and I love doing it and I'm mainly doing it for just like preserving like my approach to the kit and being able to share that knowledge. You know, you die with it and it, what good did it serve people? And, and, you know, I also see people like playing, you know, a lot of lettuce cover bands or young drummers playing lettuce tunes and like, you know, they're, they're approaching the groove in a different way or, you know, and not exactly how I, how I approached it. So for me to like say, Hey, here's this lettuce tune. This is how I play it, you know? And then now that you know how I play it now, do it your own way. But at least, at least they know like, okay, Oh, he's doing the left hand on the upbeat hi hats or whatever, whatever that is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. How, how you can sort of, um, offer your approach as, um, a resource for them to not be a carbon copy, but to develop their own approach. Exactly. You never want anyone to copy, you know, being an artist isn't about copying. It's about checking out approaches. Stealing. Yeah. Stealing and checking out someone's approach and then hopefully making it your own and putting it in a bag with other people's approaches. You right. know, right. when you have a wide variety, you will find your sound. If you, if you're only listening to one cat, you're going to sound like that cat and that's how, that's how it goes, you know? So I try to widen my perspective of who I'm checking out 
And, um, and when I talk about it, you know, I'm like, okay, this drummer, you know, I'll break down why Gad, this, this Gad groove is important to me or, or this Vinny, uh, Tom thing he does that I love, uh, this five phrase that Vinny does, or, you know, a, a phrase that Elvin does or, you know, that sort of thing. So and people can see, okay, he's borrowing from a lot of different things. And, uh, and I, I, I enjoy that aspect of it, of, you know, kind of widening people's perspective of who to listen to and how to pull a lot of different bags into your own. I love that idea of sort of pointing backwards at, you know, where this stuff came from, um, because you can, you can get back a century in very few moves. Mm. Um, I've, I was on Reddit the other day and, and this, uh, probably late teens kid posted, uh, uh, a lick and it was like, it was a, it was a sextuplet kind of six stroke lick on the snare and then moving down the toms. Yeah. Um, and he was like, he just posted, uh, I stole this from Vinny. Yeah. And I, I watched it and then I replied, who stole it from Gad? Who stole it from Buddy? Who probably who stole, stole it from, it from Chick Webb? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> right. Vinny probably got it from Tony. You know, he like, yeah. he took a lot of Tony stuff and Elvin stuff and he applied it to his own music that he was playing, you know? And yeah, so yeah, it's like, it's a language that keeps getting passed down and it gets applied in music. Like, you know, what, what J.D. Beck is doing, you know, taking a lot of, uh, you know, like what Black Dynamite, you know, taught him and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and different drummers. It's like, but he's putting it in a, in a duo place where it's like, it's a whole different thing where he has a lot more space to kind of create things. And I, I just love it. I, I, when you take something from somebody, you put it in a new musical context, it's new. You know, it's, yep. it's, 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 you know, but that knowing the family tree of, of, of how it works and where it all comes from is, is part of the knowledge and, and the beauty of drumming and, and how it's thousands, thousands of years old. And it goes back to West Africa and, and, uh, you know, and, and how it, it's moved to Brazil and moved to Cuba and, and eventually got into New Orleans and spread to the rest of the United States. And it's just, uh, I'm just, it's my favorite subject basically let's talk about (laughs) (laughs) hours too yeah um and so this is a collection of video courses um is is there a live lesson aspect to it or is it just uh Uh, no it's it's pre-recorded videos um yeah cool each one is you know a different topic and I, i got them all transcribed and you know people can always hit me up i'm very accessible like if you if you're on the site and and you know you're like man i still don't understand this thing like you know, people hit me up on Instagram all the time or Facebook and go like struggling with this or like, what, what do you think? You know, what do you think of that? Or that, you know, I love that. I love answering specific drum questions. I, 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 you know, it's, it's like, I have to do it. You know, I, I, my parents (laughs) are, my parents are drummers and I grew up in a drum educator and they're both educators. And so I, I just enjoy, uh, trying to explain some of that grease, you know, think a lot of the cats that, play really funky like zigaboo modelese from the meters and and you know clyde stubblefield from james brown and purdy they're not really uh explaining the inner workings of what makes the shit incredible you know the, right because, i don't know i just do it you know right like, right you know clyde stubblefield's like i don't know i just sing it and i play it you know and <laughs> you know so m- my job is to like kind of analyze a little further get into the educational place and uh kind of break it down so cats can understand it you know the get understanding the in-between swing and straight place and that is so prevalent in new orleans drummers and yeah. uh you know yeah. just little things like that just kind of analyzing it a little further and the actual physical technique of it yeah um because you know clyde's hands aren't your hands or my hands but yeah like they're they're still hands and you can <laughs> you can yeah. unpack like they they couldn't necessarily unpack their technique in a way that was relatable to anybody, but somebody like you can. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I started playing a lot with mirror, like in front of a mirror and watching my technique, I would set the phone up a lot and just play for like a while and, and then watch how my left hand, like when I do like a, a ghost note, or like a rough with my left hand, sometimes I'll bring my fingers out just to, to get that press down. And then I'll re grip the stick when I'm doing my, you know, accents or stuff like that. So like that, and I was like, wow, yeah. like that could be really helpful to like, you know, if you want to like really get your 
you know, get those kind of roll one handed ghost note roll things like a little bit deeper and louder, you know, sometimes, mm. you know, letting go with, with these three fingers and kind of holding it with just there will kind of get like more bounce and, you know, let your less control over it. And then you come back to the, the control hold, you know, which is here, you know, so I'm yeah. just, you know, I'm enjoying just kind of learning what I do and, and kind of breaking that down for people and hopefully it helps. Well, cool, man. Thanks so much for talking. It was great meeting you. Uh, good luck with the new record. Good luck. There's lots of touring coming up. It looks like, uh, yeah, we just so. dropped another tour poster and I was like, Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, man. Uh, Here it comes. Yeah. But again, it feels totally fresh with this like new dynamics approach. And I'm just excited to go into these big giant venues and play quiet as I can. And then, <laughs> and then slowly build up, you know, like it's like a whole new, um, lease on, on gigs for me. So uh, I'm enjoying it. I can't wait to hit, get back on the road. Right on. Great talking with you, man. Be well. Absolutely, man. Reach out anytime, man. There you go. That's Deitch. Thanks again to him for the time. Hope you dug that. You can learn more about his various projects, tour dates, the Deitch Academy, all things Deitch at DeitchBeatsDon'tQuit.com. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Caleb Crosby, drummer and founding member of the rock band Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, play pretty, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.